Hello and welcome to the VSoup podcast. It's been a while since we've graced your ears with our presence and we're very sorry. The first three months of the year have been a bleak desert for the VSoup podcast, but we're now through to the other side, we've had a shave and we've fired up Skype for a chat. Helping us break the fast is a man who is no stranger to the mic, fresh from the Geek Whisperer show, it's Matthew Brenda. Hi Matt. Hi all, it's a, it's a pleasure to be on here and to, uh, to break the fast with you. Yeah, you say that now. We'll, we'll talk again at the end of the show, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Christian was just telling us that he's a bit of an angry Viking today, and I'm looking forward to uh, not being in the same room as him. <laughs> <laughs> Another good reason why we never do video. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So, Christian, what's, what's, what's making you angry, or is it not broadcastable? Uh, well, if I knew, I would tell you. I don't know why. I'm just in a uh, bad mood for some reason. Just non-specific anger. Yeah. Related related to hypervisor upgrades? Uh, no, nah, not really. No, except that one of my hosts is a bitch, but that's a different thing. Um, no, not I was, really. I was going <laughs> to bet heavily on OpenSSL. Yeah, certificates are fun. Um, yeah, also another vulnerability on the order of uh, Heartbleed esque as recently hit the wild and yeah. yay open source. Let's talk about that next. <laughs> I was going to say because you've um, you've kind of um, moved towards the the much much more sort of trendy and cool side of, uh, of vendors, having sort of started out in the, the the traditional side with the MC and then onto the the startup side at Infinio. Um, what are you doing these days? Because it sounds it sounds like it, it's I kind of read the website and it looked a bit cool, but I wasn't quite uh, didn't quite get the whole lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to go through it, Chris. So I'm over at Basho now as the developer advocate for the company. Uh, and what that means is at Basho, we create, uh, we're kind of the stakeholders in an open source platform called React. Uh, it's a distributed database. Think uh, data persistence across many different nodes, uh, things that can't fit in a single physical system, and you want to store it across lots of systems, and you don't want to deal with the complexity of uh, sharding and master-slave methodologies. We have a really slick uh, and intelligent way of distributing data and keeping it persisted. Um, but it's all open source. You could go download it right now and spin it up on a, in Vagrant or run it on boxes in your in, in your production environment if you want to. Um, we do make money from selling like enterprise one, but I get to focus on the open source side and be a, a community curator of what other people are building and help them build new stuff. Okay, so you're kind of like the sort of canonical was for Ubuntu and um, oh, the, the guys that sort of do the, the commercial bit around Seth and things like that as they sort of the, the curators of that open source hub. Perfect analogy, absolutely. Um, I think what's a, a little different with React in particular is that the founders also founded Basho at the same time. Um, so there's definitely a, a sense of, uh, I'd say, nearly ownership or a real... in. There's a mixed destiny of React and Basho. Uh, and part of why I was hired was to try to see if we can uh, get even more public contribution, you know, pull requests on GitHub into our source code of, um, of our core assets of the product. Um, but yeah, from a model wise, it's, it's actually getting more popular these days. Like everyone's talking or all the, the hipster new people are talking about Apache Spark, uh, kind of the, the next thing after Hadoop. And that product is being curated by data stacks or excuse me, Databricks. Um, who are doing the same sort of monetization model off to, on the top of that. 
So it's interesting. It's definitely different from your enterprise vendor methodology of, of selling hardware and services. Um, but uh, it's certainly something that's cool, and I'm liking it. I'm liking it a lot. Uh, and fairly different from being an SE. Oh, yeah, just a little different from being an SE. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, I remember sort of you know, watching you know, to the career, you know, move from EMC, where it was, although you were technically aligned, it was a, a non technical role, then to go to be an SE, which is, um, at the best of times, fairly technical. And an SE in a startup really has to be probably more technical than others because they don't necessarily have a, a large team of fellow SEs to fall back on. Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. So um, just to, to take a second and attempt to explain my incredibly weird CV, uh, I started back end uh, well, in tech support at EMC, went into engineering and worked my way into marketing. Um, and then despite enjoying marketing, I wanted to try sales engineering. I've kind of got a got to catch them all mentality to my career. Um, maybe it's watching Pokemon as a kid. Maybe it's just I didn't know which org chart was interesting to me until I've tested them all out. Um, but what I found at, at, as an SE is, yeah, being technical is fine. I'm I'm familiar with virtualized uh, platforms and particularly the storage stack, which Infineo played nicely with. Um, so having that speeds and feeds slash you know storage acceleration conversation was comfortable for me. Uh, what I found real real quickly actually was that I didn't enjoy the sales cycle. I feel uh, like sales in in some organizations is looking like six inches in front of your face, and I really like how marketing tends to have an eye on how do we get people's attention within the next six months. Um, it's it's a longer view. It tends to be uh, happier with like large audience acquisition and less immediate like get to the sale today. So I, I keep floating further that way. Excellent. I mean, and I suppose in terms of um, you know you talk about a complex CV. It's essentially a recruiter's wet dream. I mean, you, the amount of spam you must get on LinkedIn has got to be fairly. <laughs> fairly. It's hilarious though. People are like, "Hey, we're looking for a Java developer. Hey, we're looking for somebody who would run products or be an evangelist." And it's like, "All right, all of these things are very interesting." But I'm actually quite happy at Basho, and we've got an incredible product, really passionate community quite possibly one of the harder learning curves in tech. Uh, so I'm trying to dampen that by uh, building some beginner content that community can help uplift and, and curate. So uh, it, it's kind of what you've seen me do with EMC and, and what I was doing a little bit at Infineo, uh, which is reaching out, like using this incredible community that I'm happy to be a part of from the virtualization stack. But we're all kind of continuing past that, right? Like virtualization is, is pretty steady state at this point, and everyone's looking at, all right, what skill set do I need to really build to be relevant for the next 10 years, or at least five? for God's sake, uh, and that is getting into microservices and NoSQL or NewSQL and distributed architectures and unstructured data and real-time data processing. And I I don't know, I just, I, I started looking into it and I found it and I dig it. And uh, I've got a nice marketing technology community overlap role right now. And I'm just uh, not going to ask any more questions and just kind of keep building stuff. Sounds, sounds interesting, but I guess, I mean, does that... Does that mean for the future everyone needs to be a developer? Um, you know, is, is that really the only the only roles that people are seeing in the next generation? Because it's, everything else is automated to the extent where if you can't code it, then you know, go be a carpenter. 
I I want to kind of unleash the angry Viking on that soon. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to say one thing about that. I, I'm I'm going to say that it's going to be important that we are all comfortable with looking at some form of source code, and we understand the parameters by which people expect us to share it. Uh, that means being at least reasonably uh, comfortable reading Markdown and writing Markdown and reasonably comfortable reading and writing Git uh, and, re- and downloading information from GitHub. So leaving that out there, what do you think, Angry Viking? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I, I actually think that uh, you have to move somehow away from just doing traditional infrastructure stuff like like I'm used to doing like with virtualization I used to do it with Microsoft stuff before I started working with the VMware stack uh, but I don't think everyone has to become a developer or has to become code be able to read code at all but you have to kind of pick your path in a way so you, you can either go through the development developer stuff and do automation and do all of that uh, magic that makes stuff work uh, on its own, or you can move in the other direction and go farther up the stack and do more architecture stuff. So that's kind of kind of my my mindset about this right now is that I I, I need to pick which direction I want to go in. Do I want to be an architect and have a, a kind of uh, overview of everything and how everything connects and how to design the stuff, or do I wish to become the guy that actually makes it work after the architect has told us what to do? Well, I think with like a, a infrastructure background, the whole architect thing fits pretty good. I mean, with all this stuff going, you know, cloud-based applications and stuff, it's good to learn how to, yeah, put stuff in your own availability zones. Stuff like that. You don't necessarily have to be a programmer to do that, but it helps to, but, to know yeah, a little they're, bit. They're just blocks, and it's whatever's inside the blocks is going to change as technology and the the fashion of whichever particular process people are doing to to achieve something. But as long as you know what the blocks do roughly and how what order you need to put them in, that high level sort of orchestration side of things still should be relevant. Yeah, and, and I'm going to conclude the same that uh, I think we're all going to be in violent agreement here that not everyone needs to be a developer. Um, what that means exactly I think is yet to be written, uh, but I can tell you that I keep moving further up the stack because it seems that there is more happening further up the stack. That said, storage and networking in particular right now are are do for reinvention and are getting that reinvention in a few different ways. So as long as you're paying attention to how data is persisting across multiple physical systems instead of just a single physical system, uh, I think you're in a really good position to continue to build your career uh, from an in- infrastructure standpoint. What do you guys think of that as like a, a metric? It's it's interesting. I mean, I'm not quite ready to to wear a t-shirt into into the next VM world saying your career path sucks. Uh, <laughs> nor am I. Nor am I. <laughs> but that, that would actually be kind of funny. Yeah, I, but think I about guess. virtual systems, right? Like they're they're hundreds of physical nodes, or uh, what am I talking about? No, they're not. Uh, they're no, normally dozens of systems that are in clusters together. So um, I, 
I think you're already hitting. You're already checking that box with a VMware architecture. Yeah. yeah. As long I'm, as I'm you're not close. looking towards getting your A plus, I'd say you're doing. You're headed the correct. <laughs> yeah. Path. If, if, if A plus is your <laughs> career ambition, then you probably need to have a word with yourself. Yeah. Otherwise, I think you, you'll be all right. Well, that, well, that's that's actually a neutral kind of certification, though, which there aren't there many out there <laughs> at all. Um, I, I, I just got into a discussion with some Nutanix guys uh, regarding their design stuff. Oh, they, uh, the, the N plus. I think we should just read that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. And it, 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 the, Nutanix decided to kind of pitch it as the Switzerland of uh, certifications, which makes no sense <laughs> at all. Uh, because it's, 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 it's only had one road into it and one road out, then yeah, it would be absolutely Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, well, Ed, Ed, you're in Switzerland. Describe how that works. <laughs> how's, your, how's your border control looking, Ed? Yeah, uh, do you have a bunch of people inside Switzerland that just love yelling about how Switzerland's the best everywhere all the time? Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true Swiss move. <laughs> I like this. Yeah, it's a lot of yodeling. <laughs> I should rena- rename all of them Heidi, I guess. <laughs> so, so what's happening with the certification at Nutanix? I'm not as familiar as you are. Uh, well, they, they announced their own kind of uh, architect VCDX kind of or certification path. Which makes a lot of sense. Uh, I I, I kind of like the idea that they're doing that, and, and and I also like the fact that they they're actually offering this as a free certification path. You don't have to pay any exam fees or anything. You yeah, it's it's a peer have, review concept. Really like that. I'm I'm sold on yeah. that. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's still a Nutanix based thing. Yeah, it's to, not to, an open <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not TOGAF. It's not anything that's completely uh, elevated above any kind of uh, vendor stuff at all. It's it's still a Nutanix uh, certification, which makes a lot of sense. But what doesn't make any sense is trying to market this as a, some kind of independent, uh, neutral kind of architect certification because that it really isn't you need to yeah. design that stuff on a Nutanix box or I think in my mind I've got one of those memes of uh, you know Nutanix saying this is an open certification and then Togaf going bitch please yeah <laughs> <laughs> which which is that's kind of true though uh, yeah. so I, I like the way the way they're doing it I like the certification path of, and, and how it looks to be um carried out you for instance you need to have you can you can present or you you can submit a design that's based on vSphere or or VMware or vCloud director or whatever but you also have to in your defense be able to uh articulate stuff on Sen or Hyper-V or KVM so you have to have two hypervisors in your uh, tool belt to be able to pass this thing. That makes a lot of sense. And that's where the neutrality thing comes in. But you still need to do it on Nutanix box. So it's not neutral in any way, shape, or form. It's just yeah, it's... Hyper- hypervisor agnostic. That's not neutral. Indeed. It's two different things. Yeah, yeah, it's like VMware certifications being operating system agnostic. Um, yeah, well, it, it makes sense. That's fair. Uh, I, I, 
what I like. VMware certifications are also hardware agnostic. You know, it's or the Switzerland of hardware. If you, <laughs> who cares if it's HP or Dell or IBM or whatever underneath it, because you're designing the virtualization layer for that stuff. So that's you're abstracting the hardware anyway. So that VMware can make the exact same argument, but they haven't. So. I, I don't get the neutrality part of it. That's my only beef with it. The other stuff is good. Yeah. Then again, I, I, I might become a developer and don't care. I don't know. <laughs> good, let's talk. Right. <laughs> uh, well, actually, I've tried, I, I, I've tried being a developer. There is no way I'm going to become a developer anytime soon. Oh, let me tell well, you I don't the, have patience for it. The, the dirty little secret of development is that everybody sucks. Uh, for a long time, uh, and the people that don't get so angry that they walk away, they're the ones that build things that work. Um, I, I, I'm finding, like, I, I have a computer science degree. I very quickly realized I didn't want to code for a profession, is, uh, especially at, like, big companies where you just work on some micro code and then you're just bored out of your mind in a cube for the rest of your life. Um, but now that I've seen a different method of development that is more open and socially enabled through GitHub in particular, I, I really like it. And the more I code, I, I immediately have a tinge of just like embarrassment when people see what I wrote. I'm just like, this is crap. I know it's crap. But, uh, but everyone's just like, hey, everyone starts at, at crap. And then that's the whole reason you put it on GitHub so people can make it prettier or we can talk about how to make it better so that we all get better. It's it's so very kumbaya. Code plus social equals good. Code plus social equals great. Um, and that could be great in the sense of if you want to be a developer or it could be great in the sense of, hey, I don't want to be a developer and I don't want you to, uh, to send me to go build your app, but uh, I love to talk about it with people and that's why I end up sticking into marketing. Um, and being technical is, I think, a pre prerequisite for technical marketing these days or marketing in the technology world. But it, it is interesting to see that larger enterprises, and EMC is doing this now as well, with open sourcing um, some of their stuff. The, the, the Jonas and, and Kendrick are doing a, a bunch of stuff, and, uh, open sourcing things there as well, and also u utilizing GitHub and, Hub and that th sort of collaboration tools. But it, it, it's kind of funny because um, quite a few years ago, I got involved in an open source project, a PHP-based project on SourceForge um, called Gallery, which at that time was the single most used uh, image, uh, photo, gallery kind of hosting, install your own hosting uh, on your hosted plan, whatever kind of software available. And I, I, the, the, the only reason I, I kind of got involved with it, but I didn't know how to code any PHP or, or do anything like that, but this thing didn't work on Windows. So I tried to figure out why it didn't work on Windows. And in the end, we ended up actually figuring that out. And I, I spent a few years working on that project without actually being able to develop much code, but I was able to do a lot of documentation stuff. I was able to provide a lot of ideas and, and kind of talk to everyone. And, and, and it was a really fun role to have, but that was something I did on in my spare time as well and, uh, as an open source project without any compensation for it. So 
I can understand why and how the community thing uh, in an open source project or in a code collaboration project, how that works and, and how that's interesting, absolutely. Yeah, it's far from new and it's I, even if you hadn't contributed in other projects, you just look around at all the above and beyond effort people put into the virtualization community, uh, in especially VMware, what VMware is inspired with hanging out at GitHub I mean, whoops, I've just got it on my head, hanging out at VMUGs um, and contributing through podcasts. Like, I'm sure not getting paid to jump on here with you guys unless you're going to send me a check later that I didn't know about. Um, no, next week get one. Yo, okay, great. Okay. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take 10% of nothing, please. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just we do it for the benefit of others to hear other aspects of career growth and other technologies out there and uh, that just you know it's it's finding a new path and more people need that that are writing code so you see more of these projects spinning up it's not the end all be all of all of IT it's just simply part of the evolution and probably a growing portion of it but how do you deal with kind of, um, I suppose you could refer to it as like the, the third leg of the stool so if you think there's sort of process technology and people um, and the technology obviously is is there and the process you know by using the these various um, you know the social coding um, but the third bit of people are you know um, I used to have a friend on on Facebook who was quite heavily involved in one of the various quite large open source distributions and you kind of you got a, a slight flavour of some of the the egos that get involved at the high level of these, um, and it seems that that you know the a project can be destroyed not necessarily because it's a bad project or because the technology is not up to it, but actually just down to the individual contributors. But because they're not being paid, you can't fire them, um, and they're probably possibly contributing valuable bits to that work. But because of the nature of it, how do you how do you sort of corral those sometimes quite uh, individual personalities? People is always the most complicated part of technology, right? Like uh, if tech, if we just did the thing that worked best for computers, there'd be no arguments um, at all, and we'd just kind of keep moving forward. But I think it's the same problem that we've dealt with for years that. Uh, when you're doing anything that's a passion project, sometimes um, somebody feels total ownership over that passion. Um, but I, I, I think it comes down to this isn't that different from anything you've built in the past. Um, yes, people will speak up, but if they want to be part of something great, uh, they will fall in line to some sort of social expectation. Uh, so my biggest uh, belief is that where there's ambiguity, there's room for conflict. So sometimes it's just better to write down beliefs of a of a group of a project goals so that when there is conflict it can be resolved by pointing to the agreed upon goals of the group and in uh, in basho uh, i actually revived a project that started before my time that was an open community kind of belief system that was written in github so it's just it's just words but people have contributed and and by participating you're kind of signing off to the social contract and if you don't meet it um you're going to get called out on it that's got to be part of the game or else you you do have people that can ruin a great thing for everybody so i think just being explicit about expectations and then curating that and you know being honest with yourself and with others um, do you think that would get the job done, or is that too uh, huggy-feely of me? 
<laughs> I, I like it. It's, it's quite an interesting concept. So I suppose um, I was almost thinking you could have a, an almost democratic system and seeing this issue you're doing social, why not make it like Tinder? You know, swipe left if you like this decision, the products go in, or swipe right if you don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's where that's actually where I, I'm going to run into violent disagreement with, with it. I don't think... I don't think projects work very well as democracies uh, um, because sometimes like somebody has to be in charge of driving it towards what's most right for users and democracies don't always do what's most right. They do what's most agreeable. Um, so that's why you have to set expectations, have goals in mind, have that, have people on the same page and then somebody has to be a curator. That's why products like React and Apache Spark, they're not owned by everybody. They're run by some group that is maintaining it and they're listening to everybody. You should always listen, but just because people are speaking doesn't mean they should get equal weight. Some people do know better. That's, that seems like fair. Yeah, never, never underestimate the power of large groups of very stupid people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gets beyond... St- uh, yeah, statistical relevance falls over for stupid people in mass quantities. But yeah. and it's not even stupid. It's just y- y- we're all doing so much in our free time that you just can't know everything about everything. Um, you shouldn't be scared to speak up, but you shouldn't expect it to be the definitive canonical answer every time. Yeah, well, if you just look, have a have a look through through history, you'll pretty much figure out that we as a human race are pretty stupid. So. It's, yeah, well, there's stupid. <laughs> I'm glad we landed there. I'm glad that is the, that's the moment you leaned out. It's not that we collaborate together and build incredible objects. Uh, we're we're all idiots. It's like, no, yeah. no, we're collectively stupid. Thank you, Christian. <laughs> it's true, though. In I, a certain sense. Uh, but what I do like about builders is that as we build more things together, uh, it tends to go... F- Toward some sort of collective goal and makes something better. Um, you know, not every time, but you throw enough code in GitHub and you get some people working on things, and you get the next billion-dollar product. You get the most interesting thing on your resume. Um, so I think you have to take the risk in order to get the reward. Sure, or the next ISIS. I, I, it's the same thing. <laughs> I, 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 well, yeah, it's it, it's obviously a little bit different to the the monkeys and typewriters analogy um but i guess if, if enough people um you know do do that work then you know something something good should come of it is there a rebellious side to it so you know even the you, you mentioned sort of no sql um didn't some of that grow out of the of inherent resentment of oracle um and people were really kind of they'd had enough of being there um, line of business applications essentially being dictate, dictated by a single vendor who had them thoroughly over a barrel. Um, so they started to look at different ways to, to do their data management. Hey, I do my best to not presume intentions. I'm going to say that was a great rant, but uh, when it comes to what inspires people to go with new technologies, I think there's kind of the, the sexiness of the hunt. Uh, like finding a new solution. So when you look at relational databases, like what Oracle has been the shepherd of for many years, um, it hasn't fundamentally changed in 30 plus years. And you just don't see that in other parts of the tech stack. Um, So when people started looking at um, NoSQL, so non-relational 
uh, object storage or key value storage, you started to think about this like, oh, maybe we don't need the rows and columns and we can think about storing data in a different way um, and maybe that will scale better. Uh, and with enough research and technology behind that, it really took off and turned into something very, very cool and cutting edge. Um, I think part of it is also cost. That's not something we should walk away from, though. That if a cost of a solution is significantly less, and the the way it fits into a modern application is significantly better and faster, uh, there's zero reason to want to go with what you've been doing before. Cool. For the um the the uninitiated, I include myself uh, thoroughly in this group. Um, what is it that the the new non relational databases do differently. You know, I I spent some time as a, a SQL DBA, so you know, living life in in rows, columns, and and um, unique keys and relationships between those tables is something that I find you know I'm quite comfortable with that concept. But I've never really sort of seen the concept other than the buzzword that gets thrown around um, quite a lot of, of oh it's all going no no SQL now. What do they actually imply by it? No, it's a, a great question. In a very quick summary. Yeah, yeah. The the non-esoteric summary is uh, linear scalability. Um, so it's about going across multiple systems, uh, and it's also about an approach where um, you're sacrificing consistency at any given moment to improve availability. That's that's the pitch that I care most about in the NoSQL world. That as you scale so an it's application, suitable for sort of non-acid transactions. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you're actually rejecting the ACID model of, um, of relational databases and looking at CAP theorem, which is a way of explaining like what you have to trade off if you're making a distributed system. And it's either you can either have consistency, availability, or partition tolerance. You can have two of the three. Um, and when you start looking at people that are solving really cool problems at scale, they're sacrificing the guarantee of consistency for availability, which means always being able to read and write, and partition tolerance, dealing with the fact that in any network there will be times where latency spikes or goes out or um, there will be interruption. Uh, and that's what React is designed to handle. It's called an AP system uh, and the CAP theorem. Um, so if you really want to understand like why this is interesting, it's CAP theorem. The, the immediate, like the simple answer is it's faster. It's faster at scale. You can serve more data out of it faster. And that's what every application needs today. But if you sacrifice consistency, surely things like consistency is quite important if you're dealing... It's fine if you're dealing with Airbnb reservations. But if you're dealing with financial data, surely consistency is pretty key. Without a doubt. And you just hit on why it's not an either-or. It's usually a yes-and. Uh, conversation, that there are parts of your infrastructure that should never sacrifice on consistency. Um, when a transaction goes through, financially speaking, it needs to be atomic. It needs to be guaranteed to either all happen or not happen at all, uh, not have disagreements in the overall distributed network. But in other parts of an infrastructure, um, like having a session ID, like you as a user that are shopping in Amazon.com or on BestBuy.com, you have a shopping cart and you're putting things into that shopping cart. Uh, and at some point, you go to checkout. At that checkout, you should um, you shouldn't ever have a situation where you try to add something to your shopping cart before then, and it's just like, oh, sorry, you're not logged in anymore. So we lost all this information. So it's better to be partition tolerant 
and focus on availability as opposed to worry about consistency in that case. Uh, and then you have to put some conflict resolution logic in the end of the it, uh, in the end of the cycle. So when you go to check out, uh, if you have different answers in your network, you have a, a heuristic to um, get to a, d a definitive answer so that your cart is consistent. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Like I can, I suppose because yeah, I've always thought around that you know the acid model was pretty much the only acceptable solution for data. But yeah, now you mention it, there's there's definitely other ways of doing it, which yeah, by their nature should should scale better because that's yeah. I guess, the big problem. Another with traditional oops. databases is that they scale up but not out. And another interesting kind of use case is uh, I'm talking to a, a friend of mine at Basho. He joined us from the healthcare industry, and healthcare all has this legacy relational setup, which is good. It has to be the definitive answer to what your health is. Uh, that's great. What isn't great is that now every single customer of healthcare wants to be able to check that status on a mobile phone or from a web browser at any given time. And you just simply can't scale the uh, I.O. that would be needed to consume all of those services uh, into that one relational database in the middle. And no matter how much hardware you put at it, you're not going to get predictable latency for your front end. So you find ways of layering that. You put NoSQL solutions in front of that relational model. You have some sort of cutoff point, And you're retrieving from basically a caching layer uh, that will take batch uh, either like batch information in or out of that uh, that core definitive truth in the middle. Um, so think of it like it, it can also kind of protect a legacy system uh, from the the stupid amounts of data points um, that people expect from all their technology these days. Okay. So it, it is. It is. I, definitely I the solution was just to throw flash at everything. <laughs> Yeah, just yeah. When in doubt, uh, I also recommend flash devices. <laughs> but for, yeah, for absolutely everything. But I, I like the concept of it can be used as a wrapper around a traditional system because that was going to be my next question. Of okay, so it's it's obviously got some great use cases, but if you've got to completely redesign and migrate all of your data from your legacy system, then it's going to be very difficult for it to gain traction. If it's easy to to wrap around a legacy system and to interface with it, and is that one of the things that uh, that the Basho work with to enable customers to make use of what data they originally had and then but get the benefits from a the non relational setup? Oh, absolutely. That's I think that's the fundamental skill set we have as a company. Everyone and anyone inside our company is listening to conversation, um, either coming informally through like the React users list or from Twitter, or more formally through like professional services engagement or ClieServe. If one of our paying customers is having trouble modeling their data, uh, we spend countless hours writing about this stuff to make sure people understand how it works. Because I would never ever call this easy you're actually fundamentally rethinking how you make a request um, or how you, uh, how you model data. But once you wrap your head around modeling it differently, um, you find that it will fit more and more use cases and be more scalable and more performant uh, than a, a single or a set of relational databases could ever be. Cool. Okay. Yeah, so uh, this but, is me in marketing, by the way, which yeah. is also why I'm... I just want to go full circle in our conversation. Like marketing at really cool technology companies is still technology, uh, and I think that's often 
misappropriated. Like, it's not like I got thrown into a demand gen group where I just need to, like, start writing down your emails and sending you spam. Um, there, there's a lot of room for people to understand technology and then communicate that. Yeah, and that, that's also a, a different career path, I guess. You, you have your, your architects and you have your automation engineers or developers or whatever, but you also need someone that actually can explain all of this stuff to people. Yeah, yeah, and I tend to think of it... Oh, go right ahead. Yeah, that's kind of the basic premise of it. You know, you have to be able to actually tell people how this stuff works without being the guy that necessarily coded it because that guy probably can't explain it to someone else uh, that isn't technical uh, on how it works. So you have to have have those kind of joining... um, well, yeah, you have to be able to join the dots somewhere, and that's kind of where marketing comes in in this space. Agreed, agreed. And it's it's more about scaling, like scaling the amount of conversations you can have. Uh, that's also helpful. So uh, with that, I think Chris... All right, I was, <laughs> well, I was just thinking that there is always a, a, a plan B, really. Um, and it's, I'm just going to make YouTube videos of playing with Kinder Eggs because my daughter is massively addicted to them, and I think that's possibly the future. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like Docker. <laughs> <laughs> Docker's like Kinder Eggs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I've heard it. Well, guys, thanks for listening to VSoup54. Um, thank our, uh, let's thank our guest, uh, Matt Brander, for being on again. Thanks a lot for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, uh, Matt. As, as usual, you can catch us on Stitcher, iTunes, or vsoup.net.